Hey, thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We have the latest news on the Ford government's battle with CUPE's education workers. Premier Doug Ford still steering clear of the Emergencies Act inquiry. Will you be getting your flu shots this year? Ontario's fall economic statement is set to be unveiled. Make it three North Star Shields for Forge FC. And a Hamilton family is trying to go higher. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. From day one, Mr. Speaker, for Ontario, this was a, a policing matter. It was not a political matter. And the opposition knows, Mr. Speaker, politicians don't direct the police. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin waking you up on a Wednesday morning. That again, Premier Doug Ford trying to steer clear of the Emergencies Act inquiry. And uh, what is the latest news on the Ford government's battle with CUPE's education workers? Colin DeMello is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief with Global News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Colin, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, doing well, thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. We understand that bargaining is back on? Yeah, I mean, both sides had committed to kind of remaining at the table to, you know, keep talking it out, right? Because if there can be some kind of a negotiated settlement, maybe, maybe uh, that would you know, completely circumvent this entire process, both from the government side and the strike from QP's side. So yesterday, late yesterday, QP. Uh, gave the government another offer, and it's waiting to hear back from the government today. QP had indicated that they may be climbing down from their position of 11% increases per year for the life of the contract. But the government has already indicated that the contract offer that they have provided QP is the final contract offer. So I, I don't know whether the government is necessarily in the mood to negotiate, because at this, as it stands right now, uh, they are set to pass legislation as early as maybe today, maybe tomorrow, that would impose that contract on the union unless they accept it. So from all the voices we've been hearing over the last few days, is, is this light at the end of the tunnel a little brighter today or is it still as dim as it was or it appeared to be just the other day? I mean, I would still say it's as dim as it was the other day. That might sound a bit pessimistic, but only because, you know, at this point, the government hasn't indicated whether they are willing to increase their position. I mean, if they've already said that their offer is the final offer, then really it might be left to QP to either accept the offer voluntarily or, you know, have this contract offer forced upon them. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the government already increased their offer once. Perhaps they're willing to increase their offer a little bit more, um, you know, if, as an example, uh, they change some of the parameters around their offer, I'm not sure. So we, we have to see what will happen today at the negotiating pit table, but they've got today and tomorrow with a mediator who's trying to bring these two sides together to avoid what is now, I mean, we are in now the worst case scenario, right? Absolutely. Colin DeMello is our guest, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Global News. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Here in Hamilton, the Catholic Board will be closed on Friday should there be a walkout by these CUPE education workers. The Public Board will be open, and that's similar to what's happening in other boards. This is really a, a hodgepodge of open and, and closing in terms of wh where, where your kids go to school. It definitely is a mixed bag in terms of which school boards have 
decided to continue on with classes, which school boards are waiting and seeing what will happen and which school boards have announced they're already going to close. And, and that's the clarity that you know we are looking for um, from some of these school boards is their closures contingent on a possible walkout from QP or are some of those school boards, like the Toronto District School Board, as an example, the largest one in the province, uh, they've already said schools are going to be closed on Friday. So we're looking for clarity. Is that contingent on the strike? Or are you just giving parents that safety and security uh, and certainty today by just saying, listen, schools are going to be closed, uh, you know, make your alternate arrangements? Those are questions that I I think have to either be answered or, you know, will materialize uh, over the course of today and tomorrow. Speaking of clarity, the Prime Minister was quite clear in his reaction to Ontario's use of the notwithstanding clause. Yeah, I mean, the prime minister came out quite strongly yesterday condemning the premier, uh, in effect, saying it's wrong to suspend the rights of workers in Ontario by using the notwithstanding clause. He said this is not necessarily what it was intended for. And he said you should only be suspending the rights of workers under extraordinary circumstances. Um, He also, you know, called on uh, multiple voices, whether it's political voices or union voices, to um, call out the premier and to you know take a stand against it, he even brought it up in the uh, in the House of Commons, asking Pierre Polyev to condemn uh, Premier Doug Ford. So the prime minister really taking a strong strong stance on it. Now words are one thing, actions are another. The government had indicated yesterday maybe it might be potentially mulling over its options as to whether or not to launch a court challenge to uh, prevent the Ontario government or overrule them from using this uh, really heavy-handed measure, that is yet to be seen. Whether that's political posturing or whether you know they have some intent there, that again, we have to wait and see. Got about a minute. Just want to wrap up with the Emergencies Act inquiry. We know that uh, lawyers for the Premier in court uh, basically trying to get him to not appear before the inquiry. What is the latest on that? Yeah, so the latest on that, the judge is going to make a decision on November the 8th. Premier Ford and Sylvia Jones, the minister, they are scheduled to testify on November the 10th. And so the there was a lot of talk as to whether or not this judge, by making the decision, by granting a stay or denying a stay, is effectively ruling on whether or not Doug Ford has parliamentary privilege and whether he can use that as a shield to protect himself from uh, testifying at this trial. So that's one of the reasons why I think the judge is going to take a few days, about seven days or so, to make this decision. Um, And then we see if he grants the stay, will there be an appeal before the 10th? If he doesn't grant the stay, does the government have enough time to grant the appeal? And there was some talk yesterday that if the premier doesn't get the stay he might just choose to not show up at the inquiry altogether lots to talk about here in ontario colin i appreciate your insights into all this thanks for joining us yeah it's a very busy beat at queen's park thanks for having me (laughs) thanks colin colin demello queen's park bureau chief global news yes whether it's the emergencies act inquiry or it's the battle against cupy education workers or a variety of other issues uh, it's no shortage of storylines coming out of queen's park You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We want to take care of the frontline, hardworking, educational workers, and we'll always have their backs. But you know something? 
We, we are going to be in the head of the QP. Again, we differentiate between labor and labor leadership. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That is Premier Doug Ford in question period yesterday saying the government's offer to QP education workers is, quote, very fair and that the province is looking out for the frontline workers, but not their union leaders. Well, what a week it has been for the Ford government. It's battling CUPE's education union, uh, the premier refusing to testify at the Emergencies Act inquiry, the governing PCs again shooting down a request to double ODSP. Mike Schreiner is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario and MPP for Guelph and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mr. Schreiner, good morning. How are you? morning, Rick. I'm doing fine. Let's start with the government imposing a contract on education workers, using the notwithstanding clause to force them back on the job. What has happened to the bargaining process in this province? Well, I mean, the Ford government just is engaged in bad faith bargaining, and they're attacking some of the lowest paid education workers. The average salary for these folks is $39,000 if you include part-time and under $50,000 if you include full-time. That is incredibly hard to be able to pay the rent, put food on the table and pay the bills. And, you know, these are the folks who keep our schools open, keep them safe, provide educational support to our students. And for the Ford government to take away their charter rights and essentially, um, you know, not come to the table with an offer that provides them with a fair wage to just be able to do their job and pay the bills and take care of our kids is wrong. And that's what's leading to instability in our schools. The Premier released a video Monday of him carving a pumpkin. Turns out it was a metaphor for him carving up labor rights. Agree? Well, I'd say uh, carving up not only labor rights, but charter rights. I mean, the notwithstanding clause has never been used uh, in Ontario until Doug Ford became the Premier. It's the third time he's threatened to use it, the second time he's actually put, uh, has used it. These are our charter rights. Uh, and so for the premier to take away people's charter rights uh, is just wrong and it's dangerous. And quite frankly, I want schools to be open. Education workers want schools to be open. And the way to ensure that to happen is for the premier to negotiate a fair wage with the lowest paid education workers. There was some back and forth uh, last night in the uh, education worker um, negotiations, and we understand that negotiators are back at the bargaining table this morning. Are you hopeful that a deal can get done before Friday's job action? Well, I'm very confident that the QP has been at the table bargaining, uh, and we need the Ford government to do the same thing. You know, they could recall the legislature and have us all here at 5 a.m. Uh, yesterday morning, and I'm not complaining about that. I love my job. I'm happy to come in at 5 a.m. and stand up for students and stand up for education workers. But the Ford government should have been at the table bargaining. Like, that's what bargaining is all about. You sit down, you go through the issues, you come up with something that that is fair and balanced and and the Ford government instead just went directly to the nuclear option and said hey we're going to take away your charter rights and the people paying the price for that not only the low-paid education workers who do so much to keep our schools open and safe and support our kids but also uh, students and parents now because of all the disruption in the education system created by the bad faith negotiating tactics of the Ford government. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Mike Schreiner. He's the leader of the Ontario Green Party and an MPP in Guelph. Let's move over to the Emergencies Act inquiry because there's a, there's news uh, related to the Premier. He has cited uh, parliamentary privilege, had lawyers in court yesterday asking that he be spared from uh, offering his testimony at the inquiry. Now, we've heard from Ford. He said this is a federal inquiry for federal officials. Last time I checked, the convoy protest was in Ottawa. The Ambassador Bridge, which was blocked, was in Windsor, two cities the Premier is supposedly responsible for. What gives? Yeah, it's pretty ironic, eh, Rick, that uh, here the Premier is uh, taking away the charter rights of education workers, but refuses to step up and do his own job uh, and testify uh, at the Emergencies Act inquiry. You know, I just say to the Premier, you know what, do your job, be honest with Ontarians, be transparent about the decisions your government made or didn't make that led to the occupation of Ottawa and, and, and the bridge in Windsor, uh, and just be just be clear with people. And, um, you know, I think that's all that, that people are asking for. That's all the inquiries asking for. And quite frankly, the decisions that the Ford government made or didn't make or the actions they took or didn't take led directly to the federal government um, ultimately invoking the Emergencies Act. And so I think Ontarians and Canadians need to hear from the Premier himself. Got a couple more minutes with Mike Schreiner, the leader of the Ontario Green Party, MPP for Guelph, and it's related to ODSP. We're going to have a fall uh, financial statement or outlook or update, I guess, on on Friday. It's going to show a $2.1 billion surplus. Even after that, the government's shooting down the latest request to double ODSP rates. Not a good look at this time of high inflation and budgetary surpluses. Yeah, you know, Rick, I, I just want to say, you know, the people of Ontario are good people. And for us to have a government to force people to live in legislated poverty, can you imagine you're on Ontario disability support, you have a disability, you have significant barriers to employment, and you're being forced to live on $1,200 a month? I mean, most people can't even find a, a you know a, a, an apartment to rent for $1,200 a month, let alone put food on the table and pay the bills. It's even harder for people in Ontario works. Can you imagine trying to live on $730 a month? And we know that poverty costs the province $33 billion a year. It'd be so much better to avoid that $33 billion cost by just upfront doubling social assistance rates so people can live lives of decency and dignity. It's the right thing to do. The province has the money to do it. We need the premier to step up in the fall economic statement and double ODSP rates. Mr. Schreiner, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Rick. These are really important issues. Absolutely. Mike Schreiner is the leader of the Ontario Green Party, MPP for Guelph. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. After Australia was rocked by a severe flu season this year, health experts in Hamilton are encouraging residents to get their free flu shots now available at hundreds of locations throughout the city. Here to talk about it is Jordan Walker, the director of Hamilton Public Health Services Communicable Disease Control Division. Jordan, good morning. How are you today? We got an issue with the phones. Oh, hello, Jordan. Good morning, Rick. Hey, good morning. Good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Has the flu season already arrived in Hamilton? Uh, We we are starting to see over the last few weeks some some 
uh, a bit of flu activity with an increase in flu cases, uh, but the, the flu activity is still fairly low. I wouldn't say necessarily that the flu season has started in earnest, but it, it, we are starting to see flu cases arriving, yes. So considering what has happened in Australia, what kind of flu season are you and other local health officials expecting this year in this city? Well, it is difficult to predict. Um, however, as you pointed out, you know, given the experience that Australia had with their recent flu season down under, you know, we are preparing for and expecting we will see an increase uh, in the sustained flu season this year, uh, particularly as folks move back indoors with the cooler weather. We haven't really had a traditional flu season the last couple of years because we've been masking, you know, trying to keep apart from one another. We do know that COVID-19 is still very active. Could this potentially be a very rough winter with both viruses uh, trying to get at us? Absolutely, and that's that's exactly what we're um, what we're we're looking at and, and anticipating may occur is is that both uh, COVID nineteen, which continues to circulate, and that sort of return of influenza happens this particular uh, fall and winter season. Uh, and so, you know, to reduce those risks of, of both the COVID-19 and influenza infections in the coming months, that is really why we're encouraging those our community members to, uh, you know, roll up both sleeves this fall and get both their flu shot and stay up to date on their COVID-19 vaccinations. Where can we get our flu shots? So flu shots are available from uh, over 350 providers across Hamilton. Um, they're available primarily from pharmacy locations and primary care. Uh, and our community members could go to our website, hamilton.ca slash flu, to find local locations where they can receive their flu shot. I know in past years, uh, especially in those marginalized areas of the city, there's been mobile clinics out and about delivering shots. Will that be the case this year as well? Um, I, I can't speak to uh, the mobile clinics. I do know that our, uh, our primary care and pharmacy locations do look to provide uh, flu shots and make sure that we're, we're ensuring uh, access in those, those locations. Um, but certainly uh, Hamilton Public Health won't be offering any mobile clinics uh, this year related to flu. Fair enough. Uh, Jordan Walker is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, Jordan is the director of Hamilton Public Health Services Communicable Disease Control Division. We're talking about flu shots. We've seen COVID vaccine uptake dwindle this year. What kind of uptake are we expecting for the flu shot this year? Uh, it's hard to predict what we'll see for the flu shot, and certainly that's uh, that's why it's so important to uh, to be encouraging it. And we know that both uh, Hamilton Public Health Services as well as our healthcare partners are really trying to push that message. And, and as I mentioned, really encourage our community members to roll up both sleeves and get that that flu shot and stay up to date with our COVID nineteen vaccinations. Because if we don't, at least to a great degree, I mean, odds are we're going to see more and more people in the ER, more and more people seeking healthcare professional further strain on our hospitals. Absolutely. And, and getting vaccinated uh, along with those other uh, everyday precautions like staying home when you're sick, regular hand washing, you know, wearing a mask when you're in those crowded indoor settings. These remain the most effective ways to protect yourself, your loved ones, and as you said, to reduce that pressure on Hamilton's healthcare system. Very much so, Jordan. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. That's Jordan Walker, the director of Hamilton Public Health Services Communicable Disease Control Division with a message to get your flu shot. Hamilton.ca forward slash flu is the website that you can visit to check out where you can get it. Uh, there's dozens, really hundreds of locations around town. For Hamiltonians six months of age and older, you can get a flu shot from your primary care provider, like your family doctor, uh, go to a walk-in clinic, nurse practitioner, anyone two and older can get their flu shot from a participating pharmacy as well. So lots of options out there. 
get your flu shot, and uh, let's stay safe and healthy this, uh, well, for the remainder of this fall and, of course, during the winter months. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, this coming Friday, the Ontario government will release its fall economic statement. What will we see? Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton with a preview. Marvin, good morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Glad to be with you. Uh, Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey says he's going to provide an update on the government's plan to build. What should we expect to hear on Friday? Well, if you can't, if you don't mind, can I say that you're going to be inundated with economic news over the next couple of days? Tomorrow, Thursday, the federal government is going to release its uh, economic update, and then, as you say, the other economic update from the province. I think the first question for both finance ministers, are they going to focus on the state of the government's health economically, or are they going to focus on the health of the people at large? Now, here's why I'm saying this to you. Take Christia Freeland. The last time she delivered a budget, she said to you that the deficit in 2021-2022, the fiscal year that ended March 31st, was going to be $113 billion. That's an eye-watering amount. But we now know that the deficit was only, it's still a large number, but was only $90 billion. That's $23 billion better. Wow. I mean, that's a significant movement. And we also know that federally, in the first half of this fiscal year, uh, the federal government actually ran a surplus. Same thing goes with the province. The last time the province delivered a budget, they said, ooh, that 21-22 fiscal year, we were going to run a $30 billion deficit. We actually now know they ran a $2 billion surplus, and we also believe they're going to continue to run a surplus for the next four fiscal years. Now, are they going to talk about that? Because if they talk about that and say, look, we're in a great place as a province, as a federal government, uh, we're doing fine, thank you, then that's going to fuel some fires around, say, the potential teacher strike that we're going to see on, on Friday or the support worker strike on Friday around economic issues. Wait a minute, if your coffers are so full, why can't you afford to give us a little better raise? That's what the whole argument's about. So that's the interesting question. Do you talk about the state of the government's finances, which is lots of good news, but then that might send the wrong signal to you and I who are struggling. So then instead, do you come out with a statement that says, I hear your pain, I'm conscious of your pain. Um, You know, we just need to buckle down and get through all of this. Both cases, I don't think either finance minister is going to give you or I very much relief because then they're afraid they're going to fuel inflation and cause some other economic hardships. So it's one of those things that the land is good, hold tight, we'll get through this. Regarding the uh, the budget turnarounds, if you will, uh, you know Ontario had a $2.1 billion surplus last fiscal year. They're expecting a $33 billion deficit. And you mentioned Christopher right. Freeland and the federal government, you know, having not much of a, a, a deficit. Or, or I can't imagine they're bad at math. What were the factors in, in the turnaround, I guess? Well, a, a couple of things. First, um, and, and this is also what has been fueling inflation and the supply chain issues, we most of us thought it was going to take a lot longer for the consumers and thus the economy to bounce back after COVID. Remember that at various times during COVID, we almost locked down the economy. We're finally giving people the all clear signal, but take airplane flight for an example. We thought it might take the airline industry 10 years to recover from COVID. Instead, it took more like 10 weeks and it bounced back so fast. And I think the same thing has happened with the federal government and the provincial government, 
the supports that they thought they would need, the things they thought they might have to do to help with COVID. Turned out, it, it, once you gave people the all clear signal, they came back so fast. And then with the higher inflation going on, what again, it's a dirty little secret in government, but as, as we pay more for items, guess what we also do? We pay more taxes to the government. So their revenues have been up very significantly thanks to something like the harmonized sales tax that both the federal government and the province shares. They've had more revenue than they expected. And then in both cases, and I know this is going to seem odd when I say this federally, but in both the federal government and the provincial government, they've been trying to cut back on their spending. So when you get more revenues and you cut back on spending, the fiscal health of those entities goes up quite dramatically. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. We're talking about the uh, economic statements from both the provincial government to Friday and the federal government tomorrow. You mentioned inflation, you know, the cost of living, food, gas prices all up. What are the chances we hear about some relief uh, from one or both levels of government? Well, again, I, I think you're going to hear some relief, but it will not be what we would call broad-based relief. So if you and I think, well, they're going to uh, 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 roll back the GST or maybe roll back carbon taxes. I'm not expecting to hear that at all. And the reason is that if they try to help everybody with something, that'll again fuel inflation. So what I suspect we're going to hear are very targeted programs. Uh, in the case of the federal government, we know they temporarily doubled the GST rebate. I don't get a GST rebate. I'm not complaining. I, I just... I make a little too much money to qualify. So that would go to poor Canadians or people who don't have the same levels of income. I can see them doing that targeted approach for some of the people in the lower income brackets going forward. Provincially, uh, we know that we're enjoying, we're enjoying a reduction in the gas tax that the province collects, but that's going to expire on December 31st. Will their update say, well, you know what, we're going to extend it another six months to June 30th of 2023, something small and targeted in that way won't cause inflation, but at least gives us a little break. But anything broad-based, anything that truly does put a lot more money in our pockets, it's going to flip around because more money in our pockets is going to help fuel inflation. That's exactly what we're trying not to do at this point. So little things, I think, is the best you can hope for. We only got about a minute. This uh, provincially, this fall economic statement is being called, or at least billed as a plan to build. Does that just mean build more homes, more highways, get the economy continuing to chug along? Well, I will say yes to that. I, I prefer, to, prefer to call it build more infrastructure going forward. Now, you mentioned highways and bridges are a great example of that. Investing in transit is that. But I'd also say if you really watch those announcements closely, they'll come out with a big number. So let's say it's a $10 billion, but they're going to do it over the next four years. And if you really peel back the number, the amount they're going to spend in the first year will be relatively low. So they, this, again, doesn't fuel inflation. It sounds like a big number. We're going to put $10 billion or $20 billion in a transit. We're going to do this for bridges. But if you really look at it, it's backloaded. Most of the money gets spent two, three years from now, when at that point they think the economy is getting back to normal. Marvin, always appreciate your time on the show. Thanks for joining us. 
Glad to be with you. Marvin Ryder is a professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Huge congratulations to our next guest and uh, the whole team that he guides down the path to yet another North Star Shield. He's the head coach of Forge FC champions. Once again, Bobby Smirniotis joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Bobby, how are you? I'm doing great today, Rick. Man, three-time champions. Can you reflect on Sunday's championship final, TD Play Stadium in Ottawa against Atletico Ottawa, and your lads win it 2-0? Yeah, first and foremost, it was a great environment, a great crowd out there, and a fantastic traveling crowd from uh, from Hamilton. Our supporters were were brilliant. Um, they pushed us along in the game, and uh, the team just uh, did a fantastic job executing uh, the game plan. Went out there and uh, did what they usually do in big matches, and what this uh, what this club has been doing for the last four years. And at the end of it, we brought home our third championship. How big of a factor was experience in this game from a confidence standpoint? Because you know what your team has done over the last well now four years. You know all four championship finals. You now have three titles. From a confidence standpoint, it must have been sky high. Yeah, I think uh, what we try and do is keep a very good, relaxed uh, environment. You know, like I tell the players, you know, the pressure is getting to the finals. At that point, it's it's about enjoyment in the game. And I think that permeates throughout the whole club. Uh, and we look at the, that lineup that we had in the finals, and there's uh, four or five guys who, who haven't been part of uh, some of these big games in the past years, uh, a few uh, this year. But I think once you instill that mentality throughout the club, it's easy for each player who steps in um, to really buy into it. And I think uh, they showed a very cool and calm composure when it came to playing in the championship match. When you look back throughout this season, from day one of camp to the first game to mid-season to obviously the playoffs and the championship, when did you know that you had a championship-caliber side? Was it right at the start? Was it midway through? Where, where, Where was that gut feeling throughout the season on, yeah, we could actually do this? Yeah, I think we had some turnover from last year. There's a biggest year with turnover of players. Um, so we know we had a little bit of a challenge in front of us and bringing the new players into the model of the club, uh, but also making sure that the, that we motivate a lot of these players who had accomplished so much with winning championships, playing in, in Champions League. Um, but I'd like to say, you know, we went on about a six-game winning streak uh, in the middle of the season there, and we really saw the team was really moving ahead. And although we hit a little bit of a bump uh, right after that, we knew we had all the tools in the team to be able to go out and, and do what we've done this year. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Bobby Smirniotis, the head coach of Forge FC champions for a third time after they took down Atletico Ottawa 2-0 in Ottawa. No Kyle Becker on Sunday. How big of a factor was that? Turned out to not be the biggest factor. <laughs> um, he's obviously, uh, you know, he's uh, one of our most important players, and I think he's the the poster uh, player for this league over the last four years. He's been involved in every uh, big moment um, for Forge and every big moment that uh, that our club has had, both uh, domestically and internationally, all competitions. Um, but uh, here we go into a big match, and uh, first-year professional, and Noah Jensen steps in and doesn't miss a beat. Now, I think that's been the biggest thing that we've had as a club this season um, because we've had the adversity of missing some players either through cards or a lot of our experienced players through micro-injuries in the season, and we've always had that next man step up, and uh, the team hasn't missed a beat. The final whistle blows. You guys are going nuts on the field. Take us into the dressing room. What's the atmosphere like post-game? Yeah, I think it's just uh, a, a time to uh, to enjoy everything. You know, at that point, uh, the players uh, 
have started uh, this journey this year way back in January, you know, the full months or two months before most other CPL teams um, with our start in Champions League and playing against Cruz Azul. And uh, there's been a massive focus in this group to really see that this was the final outcome that we wanted. So a lot of celebrations, a lot of smiles, uh, and a little bit of champagne. Do these championship victories get more sweet as, as they continue to pile up, or will that first one always be the one that you'll remember the most? You know what? I think the beauty of it, because uh, you know, I, you sit back and you reflect on this after, and the beauty of it is each one is individually different in its own way. Like you just said, you know, the first one, that's the first one in the existence of this league. And history will always say that Forge FC was the first champion of, of the CPL. Um, the second one was at the, the Island Games, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and, and having to bring the team and rally the team around such a, such a season that that was. And this year with a, lo- with a turnover we had and, the, and, you know, just trying to bring the guys into focus and making sure that they still had the hunger inside of them. That's probably the biggest challenge we had as a coaching staff um, organization. Um, so I think that's what makes this one very special in the end. Another minute or so with Bobby Smirniotis, the head coach of Forge FC, now three-time CPL champions after a 2-0 win over Atletico Ottawa on Sunday. What are you going to remember most about this season? Yeah, the the moments that we've had. We started the season back in February uh, playing in Champions League. You know, that's the top competition you can play on your continent against uh, a historic club of, as Cruz Azul. Uh, playing that first game at Tim Hortons and having such a massive club visiting Hamilton to play that match. And then obviously heading to one of the cathedrals of, uh, of world football in, uh, in the Azteca. And in the middle of the season, we had a fantastic match with TFC that unfortunately didn't go our way and being the first CPL team to compete for a Canadian championship, uh, losing in the shootout. And now you end the season in the best way possible by lifting another North Star Shield. It's been a pretty special 2022. When do you start looking at 2023? We take two days to relax, uh, Rick, and uh, <laughs> we start going again. The planning, uh, the planning keeps on moving forward. You know, it's one thing that uh, we want to make sure we're always, uh, we're always ahead of it, but we'll take a few days to relax and enjoy this one. Well, enjoy the uh, the few days that you have to uh, celebrate a third Canadian Premier League championship. Uh, well done. Congratulations on all the success. And I'm sure uh, we'll be talking about another championship run in 2023. Bobby, appreciate your time today. Thanks. Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks again to Bobby Smirniotis, head coach, Forge FC. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The musical stylings of one Michael Bublé, who rocked first Ontario Centre just a little while ago. And there is a Hamilton family that is in the running to win Michael Bublé's higher dance competition. How did this come about? How close are they to grabbing the championship trophy? Well, let's introduce you to the Saya family, Jareen, Jonathan, Malia, and Jack, contestants in the Michael Bublé Higher Dance Competition. Uh, good morning. How are you guys? Hey, hey how are you? Yeah, we got the We're whole great. we got the how whole family you? on board. I'm fantastic. Uh, Jareen, we'll start with you. Why why are you in this competition? We are in this competition because Michael Bublé announced that he was doing this dance contest with Derek Huff and I'm a dance teacher my daughter dances and we always make these funny dance videos together and I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to do this as a family and win a trip for four to Los Angeles 
Disney and Dancing with the Stars. All right, Jonathan. So Jareen brings this to your attention and you're like, yeah, let's do it. Or mm, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm on board 1000 <laughs> uh, percent. No question. <laughs> Malia, who's in charge of the choreography for your bit? Oh, well, it was kind of a mix of like all of us, I'd say, but probably mostly my mom. <laughs> Let's go to Jack. Jack, what is it like to dance along with your sister and your mom and dad? Um, it's very fun to work with them and put the dance together. Anyone who has seen this video, including me, and, uh, you know, it's no secret that I voted for you guys, so at least you got one vote. Uh, you, guys did yeah, a phen- yeah. <laughs> you guys did a phenomenal job. Uh, Jareen, tell us about putting this thing together, because there was multiple elements to your video. Yes, so we started choreographing it right away. We started choreographing it in the basement, and then my husband, he works for Pepsi, and he had a Michael Buble paperboard, like, cutout, cardboard cutout, sorry, and so he was like, we should put this into our dance, (laughs) and I was like, that's a great idea, so we incorporated Michael into it, and it just kind of Evolved. evolved, it came together really quickly, and then we filmed it in uh, Impulse Performance Art, Arts, which is one of the studios that I teach at. Doreen, Jonathan, Malia, and Jack, the Saya family, are contestants in the Michael Bublé Derekoff Higher Dance Competition. Uh, they've made it through the top 100, the top 50, the top 25, the top 10. You're trying to get into the top five. Jonathan, yeah, yeah. what would it be like, Jonathan, to win that grand prize? Four tickets to L.A., going to Disney, the season finale of Dancing with the Stars, a dance lesson with Derekoff, and FaceTime with Michael Bublé. It would mean the world to us. And, and can I say, like, the journey has been incredible. And, uh, you know, if for whatever reason it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. The journey's been amazing. But this prize would be absolutely everything for our family. Uh, we would love nothing more than to have this experience and to go to Disney, dance with the stars, meet Derek Huff, Zoom call with Michael Buble, all of it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I would love, I would love to have this for our family. Jareen, where can people vote? So they can vote through the contest site, which is on Gig. It's on all of my social media platforms. So my Facebook, my TikTok, my Instagram, my husband's. Um, it's a really easy to vote. You just click on the link and it'll take you straight to our video. All right. Most important question. I'll start with Malia. Who's the best dancer in the Saya family? <laughs> oh, in the Saya family? Yeah. Okay. Um, the Michael Buble cutout stand. <laughs> <laughs> he's part of our family. Uh, he's pretty good. Jack, would you agree? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Jareen, Jonathan, Malia, Jack, thanks for joining us today. Congratulations on getting this far. Hopefully we can get you into that top five and hopefully winning at the end of the day. Thanks for the time and good luck. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. The Saya family. Wow. Contestants in the Michael Buble higher dance competition. And Malia might be right. The cardboard cutout could be the best dancer, although the other four are pretty darn good. Check out their video online. You can just Google Michael Buble dance competition, Saya family, C-E-A 
family. And uh, yeah, they're hitting a home run each and every time. Great video. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.